Welcome to Goodfellow Clinics. This podcast is kindly supported by the Auckland Faculty of the Royal New Zealand College of General Practitioners. I'm Dr Louise Kugler and today I'm talking to Dr Sam Dunn about managing varicose veins. Sam is the Medical Director of the Palm Clinic here in Auckland. He has completed the Diploma of Procedural Phlebotomy. He is a keen swimmer, a dad and an amateur guitarist. Welcome Sam. Thanks Louise. So talking about varicose veins, let's start with a definition. So a varicose vein is like an overstretched elastic band. Um, It's lost its elastic recoil and when intravenous pressure is increased, like when you stand, it bulges out proud of the skin. Um, When the vein is dilated like this, the valves don't meet in the middle and it fails to push the blood effectively against gravity back up the leg. Uh, The interesting thing is that symptoms don't always correlate with signs, meaning people can have horrible looking varicose veins with very little in the way of symptoms, or at the other end of the spectrum people can have very little to see out on the outer in terms of varicose or spider veins and have bad symptoms. So just a refresher on the pathophysiology Sam. Okay, so in normal veins um, the calf muscle works as a pump and it contracts and pushes the blood against gravity back up the leg. It uses, um, the, the, the vein should be taut and elastic and have valves inside which should only move in one direction uh, to push the blood back up. And when the veins are varicose it's unclear whether the issue is in the wall or the valves but the walls become stretchy and lose their elastic recoil and the valves um, become floppy and incompetent. Uh, This leads to venous pooling um, and less effective venous return. This can cause the symptoms of heaviness, aching or swelling in the leg, um, sometimes with associated skin changes such as pigmentation or eczema. Factors which can increase your risk of developing varicose veins. Um, So age, um, most people over the age of 40 will have some degree of venous dysfunction. Um, Sex, it's more prevalent in females and we know that uh, female hormones tend to relax the vein walls. Uh, Pregnancy, um, each successive pregnancy takes a bit of a toll on the veins and um, that's due to the female hormones and also increased blood volume. Um, Family history, if you've got um, one parent who's had varicose veins then you have a 50% chance of developing them and if both parents have them then you have a 98% chance. Um, Obesity can be a factor um, as can uh, standing or sitting for prolonged periods of time. So typical um, occupations we see it um, in uh, chefs and hairdressers or nurses. Mm, mm, Absolutely. So how do patients typically present and what would they complain of? Often people will come in complaining of heavy, tired or achy legs. Um, If it's a little bit further along the process then they can have edematous legs, uh, cramps typically at night which can wake them, um, pruritus or eczema or uh, restless legs or skin changes like hyperpigmentation or even ulceration. They'll typically feel worse or more marked um, with standing or prolonged sitting or over the, you know, over the course of the day their symptoms will get worse and, and a key thing would be that they get a sense of relief at the end of the day if they lie down on the couch or put their feet up they'll get a sense of relief. What about heat? Is heat a problem? And heat, yeah, so often they'll 
people will complain that they um, notice them more in the summer whether that's just you know visibly because they dilate more. Had patients complain of seasonal symptoms so much worse in summer and then they can manage in winter. That's right yeah. yeah. So what clinical examination should we be doing? The bulk of the diagnosis actually is in the ultrasound so the exam just the cursory things to note would be you know is it one leg or two and the distribution of the varicose veins um, whether there's any spider veins around Sometimes an early sign can just be spider veins down by the medial ankle before you start seeing bulging varicose veins in the distribution of the great saphenous vein. And then are there any skin changes, um, eczema, is there any edema in the ankle or foot? Um, and is there any hyperpigmentation, which can be kind of a later sign? Further advanced signs can be something called a trophy blanche, which is um, like little little scars, often in the medial ankle area, or lipodermatosclerosis, where the skin's kind of gotten woody and hard, which is really a sign of advanced venous disease. Um, if there's an ulcer there, um, and if it's if it's a typical venous ulcer, which again is often in the medial ankle area and tends to be kind of um, ill-defined and shallow, um, as opposed to an arterial one. And uh, just, you know, do they have good pedal pulses? Are, are we worried that there could be an arterial component to their issues? Excellent. So are there any self-help things at work for these people? Yeah, so things that they can do at home to help um, relieve their symptoms or buy them time if they don't want to quite go for treatment yet or, or aren't suitable for treatment are um, staying active, um, anything that engages your calf muscle pump and gets it moving is helpful. Um, likewise, maintaining a, an ideal body weight so that you're not kind of putting lots of abdominal strain pushing pushing down on the venous system. Um, elevating your legs when you're not up and about. Um, but the main one that can kind of relieve symptoms is wearing compression socks. People don't mind doing that in the short or medium term but often you know they'd prefer not to be reliant on them. One other thing which most women aren't keen to hear is um, avoiding wearing high heels because when you're walking around in heels you disengage the calf muscle pump and uh, so, so they kind of take that out of action. As far as um, you know supplements and so on um, there's no real strong evidence for what they call venotonics which are just you know horse chestnut and things like that um, but anecdotally some people definitely say they give them relief so doesn't hurt may help. And at what point should we be referring for venous assessment or vein assessment? In summary it can either be if they don't like the look of them and you know even just cosmetic reasons is okay for them to have if they don't like the look of them because it really can affect their confidence or obviously if they're experiencing symptoms or signs of venous disease then that you know that can be more of a medical need to to get something done. As far as investigation do we do anything in the community or is it best to leave that up to the vein care team? I mean if you're worried about a DVT or if they've got surface vein thrombosis and you're wanting to exclude deep vein thrombosis, then definitely send them for a deep vein scan. But in terms of working them up for their vein treatment, um, yeah, it's best to send them to a vein clinic because um, we'll not only be looking at their deep veins, but we really want to map out their surface veins, which, which won't be done with a standard scan in the community. Um, when we've mapped out their surface veins, 
the ones which are not working properly, we can then plan, you know, our, our what procedure would be best and, and how we would go about that. And for that, you really want to see a specialist vascular sonographer. So just talking about the options for management now, conservative management. Like we alluded to earlier, um, the lifestyle factors that we were talking about. And um, so, you know, sometimes in the, um, a, a frail or elderly person that we really think won't cope with for, like more intervention, then we'll suggest compression socks. Um, and that can give people quite good relief of their symptoms. Um, the catch is that usually it's the frail elderly that'll have the most trouble getting those on and off. Mm. But yeah, if somebody's not suitable for intervention or they don't want intervention, then yeah, probably your best bet is compression socks, well-fitted compression socks. Um, when you're kind of more looking at um, the intervention side of things, um, the gold standard um, is radiofrequency ablation or endovenous laser ablation. And um, they're basically just two different ways of um, ablating the inside of the vein, closing it down, whether it's with laser or with radiofrequency. And then um, the second best option, as far as the studies go, is um, ultrasound-guided sclerotherapy, which is um, injecting foam sclerosant into the vein to chemically ablate it. Um, with either of those options, you know, you're kind of closing down the faulty pathways and diverting the flow through the, the deeper veins or the or the competent surface veins. Um, surgery in most cases is not the treatment of choice anymore. It has a higher risk of DVT or PE um, and it has a longer recovery and also um, in most cases earlier recurrence than, than the non-surgical options. Um, th there is the occasional time when surgery will be indicated. Um, I've heard that that's a good idea, um, often in public, when you may only get a one-off chance to see that person. Um, you can get it all done, like get a large chunk of work done all in the one day, whereas the non-surgical ones, we usually need to see them a few times over a couple of weeks for follow-up and doing a little bit more each time. Um, and also I've heard, you know, like for example, like a surgeon in the outback, that same kind of thing, you only get, might only see them once, the surgery can sometimes be a better option in that case. But overall, the non-surgical ones are, are considered the way to go these days. So um, we, um, we're guided with treatment from the ultrasound scan. And um, most people are suitable for the radiofrequency ablation to the larger, deeper parts of, the, of, say, the proximal great saphenous vein or the proximal small saphenous vein. And then um, smaller, more superficial veins are usually suitable for ultrasound-guided sclerotherapy. So they'll often get a combination of the two. Um, with the, ra the radiofrequency ablation, um, there's no sedative required. Um, it's done with tumescent anesthetic. So um, if you kind of break it down, they come in, we prep the skin, we gain entrance into the vein with a cannula. And then we feed the radiofrequency fiber up the inside of the faulty vein under ultrasound guidance. So we kind of feed it up to the top of that surface vein, up close to the junction with the deep veins, but just shy of it. And once we're you know, happy that we're in position, uh, then we just go down the length of where the fiber is sitting and surround the vein. So we're not injecting into the vein, obviously, we're injecting around the outside of it but within the fascial sheath. So, um, but essentially clamping the varicose vein down again, uh, 
with tumescent anesthetic around the outside kind of collapses the vein down against the fiber and then um, once on again on ultrasound we can see that we've filled it up with lots of tumescent anesthetic then we know it's all going to be nice and numb for them and that's when we fire the radiofrequency fiber so the, the radio frequency is kind of a clever technology, kind of more advanced than the laser that we used to do. So the laser would um, have a certain wavelength which was targeted at the water in the vein wall and it would um, heat up the inside, basically heat damage the inside of the vein and collapse it down. Um, with the radio frequency, it, has, it gets feedback from the tissue around it. So it just heats to the target temperature and then once it reaches that, it just maintains it. So the laser used to heat to like a thousand degrees Celsius and the radio frequency just heats to 120, which is all it needs to go to. And what that means is the recovery uh, um, for the patient is a lot faster because they don't get so much collateral damage of the tissue. And then once we've done the radio frequency part, then we just um, follow down and we go to some of the smaller vessels and we do the ultrasound guided sclerotherapy into those. So that's just injecting the foam into the vein, which damages the inside lining of it and makes it collapse down and close. Perfect. Thank you for explaining that. So you mentioned recurrence before. What is the recurrence rate? Yeah, so that can kind of vary quite widely in the studies. It's kind of hard to quote exactly when it might recur but the, the the main thing is that the studies show you know what is shown to last the longest uh, uh, is radiofrequency ablation or endovenous laser ablation and um, and then next following that about second equal uh, ultrasound guided sclerotherapy and surgery so sorry I should say ultrasound guided sclerotherapy alone just nice. a, as a treatment versus surgery there they last about about around about the same but then when you take into account the downtime and um, the risks, then the sclerotherapy seems like the better option than surgery. But just as a rough guideline, usually if they have a good radiofrequency ablation treatment with some combined ultrasound-guided sclerotherapy, then you could be looking at anywhere between kind of 5 and 15 years until, until they get a recurrence. But again, it kind of depends on what they class as a recurrence, because if they're if they're, you know, it might be more like 15 years if they're basing it on symptoms or if they're basing it on tiny little surface veins appearing that they don't like the look of, then it could be a lot less time. So as far as post-treatment instructions, how immobile will the person be and will they need time off work? Yeah, so they won't be immobile at all because um, one of the key instructions that they have afterwards is they have to walk for an hour per day for the following two weeks. And, they, and after each time they come to see us and have some top-up treatment, they have to walk for half an hour immediately afterwards. So they're not immobile. We don't want them to be immobile. And the main rules are for the first two weeks following treatment, they're in um, knee-high compression socks. As I said, walking an hour a day. And uh, also for that two weeks, avoiding heavy lifting or straining or, or sports. Outside of that, uh, we like them to not fly long haul for one month. And most people don't need time off work, but if you have a job where either, you know, you have a really physical job like a builder and you will be straining a lot, then, then we say, you know, probably one to two weeks off or, or just, you know, alternate light duties. And in terms of um, jobs, uh, so like a chef or a hairdresser or a nurse, 
that has to stand for hours on end with their work, they will find it hard work and usually will say again, you know, one to two weeks off for them. But most people can just kind of walk out and go back to work after their walk. Fantastic. So with all procedures, there are some complications or potential side effects. What should we be telling our patients about these? Yeah, so the main ones that we concern ourselves with and and stress for the patient is there's a small risk, you know, like thromboembolic complications. So um, DVT, um, again, the rates vary, but anywhere between, say, 1 in 200 to 1 in 1,000. Um, and um, pulmonary embolus around one in a thousand to one in five thousand. Um, those are the ones that we concern ourselves with the most and um, and why we're quite strict about wearing compression socks and doing the walking because that's what really keeps the risk down. Um, if they're um, if we think they haven't risk factors, then we'll often give them Clexane just for a week to cover them for that. That's um that that's the ma- that's the main ones that we stress. Um, but as far as cosmetic possible side effects, I always like to tell people you know you can have some brown marks called brown staining left after treatment, and that's um when the vein's been um, thrombosed or closed off, um the that you can get some trapped blood inside the closed vein with some um and so kind of the iron product can stain the overlying skin. If you get that, it can take a while to fade, but in the vast majority of people, it will go. And uh, I was not so much a side effect as actually just, well, yeah, um, they can be a bit sore and inflamed and have firm little lumps around the place for around about a month after treatment. And that can be quite um, disconcerting for people, feeling, you know, these firm little lumps under their skin. But I remind them, you know, that is kind of what we're trying to achieve and that's kind of part of the process. Once those veins are closed off, they'll slowly just start to absorb them away. And I always ask them to come back to see us for follow-up if they've got concerns, because often if they go for a scan in the community, um, you know, it can be quite, um, without knowing the context of having had the treatment, um, the, the they can view it as a whole bunch of superficial thrombophlebitis, but which is actually what we were trying to achieve. Perfect. So Sam, just wondering, the skin changes and discoloration that happens with veins prior to surgery, do these reverse? So some of them are reversible. Um, The things which you'll often see improve, um, if they have edema and it's not kind of, you know, lymphedema then that will often improve after having you know their venous system um, working better Uh, it tends to improve better in people that aren't overweight i'm always reluctant to tell people that are overweight that their edema will go away because they tend to be the ones that don't tend to clear it even after having their veins improved Um, eczema in almost all cases if it's venous will resolve um, hyperpigmentation, it kind of depends how advanced it is. If it's relatively early, you can get complete resolution of it. If it's been there for a while, um, that may not go, but the, the darkness can lessen. Um, the things that are um, an ulcer will usually heal when you treat the underlying venous incompetence. So that can be a real game changer for people who've been, you know, languishing for a while without getting their veins done, just just wrapping them or compression. And um, off, usually when you treat the underlying venous incompetence, they will heal up. They may have a scar, but they'll, they'll heal up. 
The things which are less reversible um, is that lipodermatosclerosis, you know, the skin's kind of, that, that damage has been done and best case scenario, it might soften up a little bit, but it's never gonna, never gonna be great. So an earlier referral perhaps in those people. Yeah, I think, yeah. I think um, eczema, definitely once they start to get eczema, that's when the skin's starting to become unhappy. And if we can kind of get it then, or even before when they're symptomatic, then you can kind of avoid having the hyperpigmentation and the more advanced skin changes that, that may not be reversible. So earlier on, Sam, you mentioned spider veins, and often that will be the only sign. Tell us about what we can do there, or should we be looking further when we see spider veins? Yeah, so um, spider veins, um, if the patient is asymptomatic and they don't mind the look of them, then you know you can just reassure them that that's, that's no big deal and they can carry on with them. Um, but if they, um, if they are symptomatic, spider veins can be the first sign of the underlying veins not being so good. Um, and, and then we would need to assess them and do the scan. And, and usually if they've got spider veins there, they will have underlying venous incompetence because that's kind of what's causing the spider veins dilating on the surface. Um, likewise, if they don't like the look of their spider veins, I usually have to counsel them that, you know, like it's a little bit of a process. It's unfortunately not straight into di uh, injecting the spider veins on the surface because we, we need to address the mechanism that's causing that, which is the underneath veins first. And so usually, again, it's an ultrasound, treat any underlying incompetence and then get to the spider veins. And to conclude our podcast today, what would your take home messages be for our listeners? Um, so take home messages, um, one would be that... Um, Common symptoms are, of veins are heaviness, aching or tired legs and less common symptoms are restless legs, uh, cramps at night, pruritus or edema. Uh, number two would be that a key finding in the history would be relief of their symptoms with elevation of the legs or wearing compression is usually very telling of a venous cause. Um, number three would be um, symptoms don't always correlate with signs. Uh, so if your patient has very venous symptoms and not a lot to see when you look at the legs, they still could have venous incompetence there. And number four would be that the ultrasound scan can detect that incompetence that may not be outwardly visible. And last thing to mention, um, the gold standard treatment for varicose veins is radiofrequency ablation or endovenous laser ablation and uh, surgery is not the treatment of choice now. Thank you Sam, it's been a pleasure talking to you today. If you're a New Zealand GP and would like to claim CPD points for listening to this podcast, fill in the Reflection of Learning form found at goodfellowunit.org. Here you'll find a list of resources used in this podcast and on our website you can also access for free webinars, med cases, GEMS and e-learning modules. Thanks for listening.